When it comes to terrorist attacks in the West, why is it that France always seems to rise to the top of the list? Hi, this is Phil Gursky, President and CEO of Borealis Threat and Risk Consulting in Russell, Ontario, Canada, and you listen to Canadian Intelligence, eh? Podcasts about national security. When we look at jihad in, in, in the world and we look at where terrorist attacks are occurring, if you're following me on Twitter, for example, and some of the blogs I put out that summarizing terrorism around the world, there's no question that the vast majority of attacks occur in Asia and Africa. So places like Pakistan, like in Afghanistan, Iraq and Syria, in Yemen, right across the Sahel, in Nigeria, in Somalia. These are terrorist attacks carried out by what we call Islamist terrorists or jihadis. And there seems to be no let up no decrease in the numbers of attacks that are occurring. Interestingly, though, over the past couple of years, there has been a slowdown in the number of successful attacks in the West. And I'm using that term very broadly to include my country, of course, Canada, United States, Australia, New Zealand, and Western Europe. But this was not always the case. We certainly have had attacks here in Canada. The Americans have suffered attacks. There have been attacks throughout Western Europe. But one country that seems to always rise to the top of the list when it comes to jihadi attacks in the West is France. And it leads to a a legitimate question as to why. To try to answer this question, I am very, very happy to re-invite to my podcast. He's a returning guest, Alexander Rudd. He is a graduate of George Washington University's law school. He's also a a security consultant. He's a researcher. He has done work with the Gendarmerie Nationale de France, which is kind of like their RCMP in Canada. And more importantly, he's the the author of a brand new book, which is a brilliant book called Le Jihad en France, 2012 to 2022, Jihad in France from 2012 to 2022. Alexandre, welcome back to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Philip. Easy question first. What led you to... uh, write this book in the first place? What was it that that sparked you to write a book about this particular um, time period in, in French history when it comes to violent jihad? A few things. First, we had reached 10 years since the Mohamed Merah uh, attacked in Toulouse, kind of the, the renewal of the uh, of the threat in France. So after 10 years, I think it was the right time to try to write some summary of what happened and try to understand it. And then, what I was researching jihadism, um, I, faced, I faced a number of uh, reactions from people. Some people were telling me, like, yeah, we have attacks every day, but we don't really talk about it. And some people were having the opposite uh, feeling about it, saying, like, oh, terrorism in France uh, had disappeared. It's great. We don't have to, to face that threat anymore. So I wanted to try to see, like, how it grew, how it developed, and how many attacks we are facing on a, on a yearly basis. So try to do a year-by-year study of the, of the level of the threat from a security-based point of view. Now, clearly, uh, terrorism in France predates 2012. Uh, Your country has unfortunately been one of those nations, as I said, that has suffered a great deal from from terrorism and more narrowly Islamist or jihadi terrorism. Can you give my listeners a sense as to the, the atmosphere, the tempo of attacks in France prior to 2012? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we France has a GID situation which is interestingly different in comparison to what happened to the rest of the West. We faced GID attack earlier than most countries, starting in the 90s, 
with the uh, 1994 Jajian assault in the Marseille airport, then the series of Algerian GIA bombing all over France, mostly Paris and Lyon, and then a few attacks by Bosnian returnees where jihadists who fought in Bosnia came back to France to organize bank robbery and also attacks all over France. So we we learned of the jihadist stress earlier than most countries in the West. Now, in part of your book, you wrote that in the 1990s that some French officials were in denial about the threat from Islamist terrorism. Can you explain why you think that may have been the case? What would be the purpose or the interest of high-ranking French high-ranking French security officials to simply deny that this reality was occurring? So I think it's an interesting question. In in the 90s, we saw an impressive number of statements trying to dismiss the idea of jihadism in France. Uh, if it was true that some of it came abroad, as in the 1994 attacks coming from Algeria, jihadist network already had a strong connection to France when uh, Khaled Kelkal, a man responsible for multiple deaths in bombings in Paris and Lyon, uh, when he was buried uh, after being neutralized by the French gendarmerie, like, we had a crowd cheering for him and mourning for him. I think the most flagrant moment of den- denial of, of the threat was also like the description of the what to call the Roubaix gang uh, by the Ministry of Interior. So, so for people listening, the Roubaix terrorists have been people fighting in Bosnia in the Al-Mujahideen Brigade. Uh-huh. We are receiving money from Finsbury, the Finsbury Park Mosque in London, had contact with Fateh Kamel in Canada, who was also in, uh, himself in contact with a uh, Ahmed Ressant, the Millennium Bomber, was arrested at the Canadian-US border in 1999. Uh-huh. Yes. Yet, those people were described by the Ministry of Interior after being neutralized as just bank robbers, nothing to do with Islam or terrorism. I think there's a few reasons why. Most officials think in political, in political terms and are afraid to try to offend part of the potential electorate or to be categorized as a radical on the subject. However, when you do that uh, with terrorism, I think it's a really dangerous thing to do. I think the situation changed now because of the quantity and the severity of attacks we faced, that makes di- make it difficult to deny the threat. However, since ni- 2015 and the November 13 attacks, big attacks in Paris, having less complex attacks, some people are starting to say, oh, yeah, there is no more terrorism in France. Mm-hmm. I've heard a few times while writing the book, and like uh, people are asking me, like, why work on the subject when nothing is happening? However, like since the big Paris attack, we had more than 30 attacks in France. 30 attacks? Yeah. Wow. So I think there is two things. Some, for some people, just don't follow the news and it's far away from their daily life. For others, among them some politicians, the subject is seen as some sort of political tropes. And um, I think we should try to avoid like both extremes, like naivete of thinking the, attack, the threat has disappeared and paranoia, thinking like uh, it's, it's an everyday subject and it's as high as it was in 2015. Right. Boy, you, you sound almost like a Canadian trying to apologize. I mean, my country bends over backwards in changing terminology not to have the merest suspicion of offending somebody based on, in fact, my, my government, my current government, can't even use the term Islamist terrorism. They call it religiously motivated as if, you know, the, the Amish and the Mennonites are carrying on tax, but let's, let's, let's not go down that road. Um, I want to talk about why France. You know, why is it that France has been a target for so many attacks? What role do you think the fact that France as a former colonial power, more specifically in North Africa, Morocco, Algeria, etc. We all know about the very dirty war in Algeria in the 1960s. Uh, a lot has been written about that. Do you think that France's status as a former colonial power, especially in Algeria, has been a major contributor to 
terrorists and terrorist groups planning acts of terrorism in France? Uh, I'd say like the the fact that France is being targeted most and most countries like rely on a few reasons, like some practical, some cultural. Uh, first, France has a bigger Muslim population than most Western countries, so mechanically there is more jihadist among that population. Then, I mean, following the 90s, with the remnant of the GIA network still existed in France and Salafists were able to use them as radicalization network, building upon the population of extremists. Uh, France is also not too far from Iraq and Syria, it's a driving distance, which makes it easier to reach than Afghanistan uh, in the past. Mm-hmm. I also think that after 9-11, France was not an immediate target, mostly because of its refusal to send troops to Iraq. Mm-hmm. Two things change that. I think the 2004 law against religious signing in French school, which mm-hmm. made us more of a target, and the republication of the Mohammed caricature by Charlie yes. Hebdo. Uh, and, and later on, I think the prominent role of France in the coalition against the Islamic State kind of provided incentive for jihadists to target French interest. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, there are many, many attacks that you have outlined in, in your book, as I mentioned. It's, it's a very captivating book. To your mind, um, in the 20, 2012 to 2022 period, what has been the most significant attack, the one that has had the most impact? I think I know the answer to your question, but I want to hear it from you. Sure. Uh, my take on it would be the November, what we call the November 13 Paris attack, what we call the, the Paris attack or the Bataclan attacks. Right. right. It's the biggest we had, the most complex, nine jihadists hitting three different targets, the French stadium in the north of Paris, a few outside patio in restaurants and cafes in the 10th and 11th district of Paris, and then the main attack at the Bataclan concert hall, killing a total of 130 people. It was a huge attack. It was unheard of in terms of uh, complexity, in new, in new modus operandi, uh, wearing suicide vest, uh, and, and having three different teams acting at the same time. And it is the deadliest terrorist event in, in the West over the last 10 years. So mm-hmm. I think it's the one where the most impact. Now, of course, the trial, if, if memory serves me correct, the trial over some of the people who support the Bataclan uh, jihadists is still going on in, in Paris. And I think there's also a parallel trial in Brussels as well, because there were Belgian networks involved. How is this coverage of the of the Bataclan Stade de France uh, trial, what, what impact is it having on, on French citizens in general? So the trial finished a few months back, actually. We oh, had okay. The Sorry. Run. No worries. Uh, so it finished la- uh, late in late June this year. Uh, all the terrorists got convicted. Uh, the main actors, meaning Salah Abdeslam, a man who was part of the attacks and decided at the last moment not to use his suicide vest, was uh, convicted of flight without the possibility of parole. Uh, all of the terrorists convicted at the trial choose not to appeal, which um, was surprising for us. Uh-huh. So the coverage have been... Pretty intense at some part, but mostly the beginning and this intensing. It was a long trial. It went on for about 10 months. Wow. Uh, and it was like bigger in size and, and than anything else we had in, over the last probably 20 years. Uh, so it, it was fully covered. A few books are coming out about it. I mentioned a few extracts in my book. I had the chance to yep. work uh, at, the, at the trial for a few, for a few months. Um, so yeah, it, it was a really interesting way and something quite unheard of in French history. In following the trial, and thank you for correcting me that the trial has, has finally seen to an end, I was particularly struck by some of the testimony of the victims, so those who were not killed, who lost family members, people who pretended to be dead so that the jihadis wouldn't kill them. This, this must have been a very emotional trial uh, for France in general to hear the accounts of the people who were there and who could just as easily have been killed either by the suicide bombers or by the uh, 
the, the armed weapons that they were carrying. I mean, you know, any time a terrorist attack occurs, it has an impact on society. That's the point of terrorism. It's, you know, it's not a, it's not a coincidence that terrorism and, and terror and terrifying are, are words that are linked both in French and in English. So what do you think has been the overall impact of this particular attack on France? Has it, has it led to, for example, um, more sympathy for anti-immigrant groups, given that some of the people did have ties to countries outside of France? Has it given more support or impetus to far-right groups in France? So I think he had a few impacts, some good, some bad. Like the, the good one where like, we were able to listen the level of the threat, we were able to change a few things in the way we operate in the law enforcement community, in the military world, and also in intelligence. Uh, the, the bad aspect of it was obviously it creates some crispation and frustration over like the place of Islam in French society, France being a secular country by design. Uh, it probably created some like uh, sympathy for some far right group and give them talking points about like the uh, obviously like awful attack we faced over that period. Now, you know, you, re- you, you raise the point about France being a secular country and we've all seen the arguments, you know, that obviously France does not recognize any religion as a secular country. There's been a lot of um, debate and I might add controversy over things like, you know, banning the hijab in schools and the banning of wearing religious symbols. Do you think that Islamist terrorists and, and Islamist terrorist groups are using this particular aspect of French society as a potential recruiting tool for jihadis in France to join their groups or become part of terrorist plots? Oh, I think absolutely. Uh, we saw a lot of like um, activist group, mostly like, Islamist group in the early 2000s trying to demonstrate again that the law against religious sign in school. We also, it's, it's a common talking point about against the jihadist group. It came back again during the, uh, the Samuel Paty attack, the teacher who got beheaded in the street for showing caricature mm-hmm. while teaching a class on um, freedom of speech. Uh, and actually, we have a few last few months, we saw a rise in um, children showing up to school wearing religious garments to try to provoke the school and try to get a reaction out of the teachers and the administrators, mostly mm-hmm. motivated by radical groups who are trying to convince them to do that, to test the system. Mm-hmm. You've made reference on several occasions to the Charlie Hebdo uh, attacks. This, of course, was in response to the decision by Charlie Hebdo, which is a satirical French uh, a news source to print uh, cartoons, caricatures of the Prophet Muhammad, uh, very controversial at the time, yet... Uh, for those of us in the West who believe in freedom of speech and freedom of expression, uh, that comes with freedom to insult, uh, freedom to hurt people's feelings. And yet there was also, I think, a bit of a reaction to that, that maybe Charlie Hebdo had gone too far. And not to say that, that the attack on the on the headquarters and the killing of the people was justified. What would be your response, Alexandre, to the argument that there are certain things in the 21st century, given the state of the world, uh, given the strength of Islamist extremism globally, that maybe certain things shouldn't be said, uh, shouldn't be written, uh, shouldn't be drawn for fear of exacerbating the situation or for fear of encouraging terrorist attacks. I think it would be a dangerous trend. And once again, I don't share all the opinion of Charlie Hebdo, but I think they have a right to say that. Once again, they published a caricature in 2005 and got attacked 10 years later. Yeah. Uh, I, I do think that... Uh, it's important to defend freedom of speech and to try to not see to the reaction of some people saying that like, uh, we shouldn't provoke and we shouldn't use that. And like, once again, 
freedom of speech is part of the French constitution. It has been, it all been part for a long time and it should be defended, whatever the opinions and the uh, correctness of what is said. Right. Well, and, and for the record, I'm, I'm with you 100%. It, well, you know, I, I can certainly understand that certain things are very controversial. You're absolutely right. We, we have created our societies uh, over centuries, very painfully, I might add, in allowing people to express themselves uh, irrespective of your views. The only thing we can't, of course, allow is advocate, advocate, advocating violence. So Charlie Hebdo had said, kill all the Muslims. That certainly, I think, would be probably illegal under French law as it is in Canadian law. I, I want to turn to another topic, Alexandre. And, and so this book is all about, you know, it's, it's jihad in France. It's Islamist terrorism from 2012 to 2022. And yet over the past couple of years, especially I would say in North America, maybe not so much in Europe, although maybe Germany might be an exception, the conversation has changed in the sense that a lot of people, governments, so-called national security experts, I hate that term, are saying that, well, yeah, jihadis were a problem in the 2000s, 1990s, the early 2010s. But the real problem nowadays is the far right, which of course is a very uh, broad term that refers to white nationalists, white supremacists, neo-Nazis, fascists. Some would throw conspiracy theorists in there, Donald Trump followers, even those that say that you know incels are terrorists. That that's a, Again, I won't go down that road. Could you, I mean... <laughs> Your book has basically said that over the past 10 years, you know, you've talked about over 50 attacks. I mean, this is still a very important threat to France. And yet there are, have been news articles about, you know, the, the far right, and ranging from Marine Le Pen, who is not a terrorist, but she certainly holds views that one would consider, you know, politically right of the spectrum. Why is it, do you think, that in France, at least, the far right threat uh, hasn't been interpreted, analyzed, seen as an important a threat as it is here in Canada, for example, or in the United States, where the FBI just issued a, a, you know its latest threat assessment, and it seems to be almost exclusively about the what they call domestic terrorism. Again, a terrible term; it's inaccurate, but it's all about the far right. What what makes France different? I mean, I'm I'm, I'm an analyst by trade, so I'll focus on the data. I mean, as I said, over the last ten years. Jihadism in France killed 271 people and drew about a thousand. If you look at far-right terrorism, the subject I work on on, on a regular basis, um, over like since 2015, we had about 31 incidents. The 31 incidents being mostly people either shooting at mosque or trying to set the building on fire like at night when nobody's inside. If you look at like assault and attempted murder by far-right extremists, we had about 11 people injured over the last seven years. But the threat is just not on the level of jihadism in France. That's that, that's just it. Uh, once again, we should be concerned by the rise of far right groups, um, but if you look at the data, if you look at the numbers, if you look at the scale of the num- of the atta- of, of the attacks, if you look at the uh, operational capacity of groups, right wing terrorism in France is far from uh, far from the threat that is uh, jihadism by mm-hmm. any kind of uh, metric. Well, well said. I mean, I, I salute you because, again, you're you're basing yourself on data, which is much of what I do when I write and I podcast, is that here's what the numbers are. I don't care what your theories are or what your feelings are, but you're absolutely right. In terms of sheer volume, if you look at it from a global scale, I mean, jihadis are still carrying out somewhere, 
you know, more than 99% of all terrorist attacks around the world. So, but it is interesting that, um, you know, you would say that, and I think it's, it, you, you point out something very important, uh, and that's the difference between analysis and conjecture or analysis and opinion. Uh, you know, analysis is based on data, as you have, you know, very convincingly demonstrated in your book. Uh, it's one thing to say that, you know, something is a threat without basing it on data. The last question I have for you then, Alexandre, is that, okay, so the book covers until basically this year, 2022. I, I know you don't have a crystal ball. I know you're not some kind of a magician any more than I am. But can you speculate based on past trends where you think terrorism in France is going over the past? I won't ask you to project 10 years into the future until 2032. But where do you think uh, terrorism is going in France in the next little while? Um, that's a good question. Uh, I think despite the 2015, 2016, like Islamic State campaign against France, we see two main trends in the jihadist threat over the last 10 years. One is autonomization. The other one is atomization. By autonomization, I mean that the French jihadist movement does not mean does not need any foreign terrorist group to be active and to commit attack on French soil. Right. Now able to organize, to plan, to execute attacks without support or incentive from abroad. The lack of communication and travel make it difficult for us to detect, but it also limits its operational capacity by not relying on, on foreign logistics. Atomization means that we went from large group-based terrorism to terrorism to terrorist cells to now mainly lone actors acting on their own against targets living in their proximate environment. Once again, the absence of communication between actors make it more difficult to detect, but the commit attacks were uh, less complex and less deadly. There is other like technical or logistical development that are also concerning. Uh, I'll name two of those. I think arm trafficking, uh, either coming from the Russian-Ukrainian conflict, mm-hmm. uh, is an issue for us. Um, and so is the, the, the 3D printed weapons. We saw one attack in Germany from a far-right extremist using 3D printed weapon, and it could be an issue for the, for the near future. And the other one is live stream attacks. We see more and more attacks being live streamed online, mm-hmm. which kind of allows terrorism to kind of repeat themselves and create some, a really strong copycat effect. So that could be concerning in the, in the coming years. Mm-hmm. I think very valid points. I, I especially like your, your reference to the fact that terrorists are not receiving instructions or in communication with larger groups. But it does lead to one other question I wanted to ask you, and that's Islamic State. Now, of course, we know that Islamic State uh, is still uh, very active, despite Donald Trump's um, claim, like like most things Donald Trump says are not true, claim to have totally defeated Islamic State back in 2019. Of course, we know that's that's completely false. They're, they're carrying out attacks on a daily basis in Iraq and Syria, not to mention the affiliates in Mozambique, in uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, in Nigeria, in Yemen, the list goes on and on and on. The other, of course, thing that, that a lot of us worried about um, in, the early, in the middle of the, t- the 2010s was the number of Western citizens uh, that went to join Islamic State. So the estimate is that somewhere between 30 and 40,000 people from around the world joined ISIS when the caliphate was declared in 2014. So two questions then, Alexandre. Give me an estimate as to, according to French authorities, how many French citizens joined ISIS in the middle of the 2010s, and what is the French government going? To, what is the French government policy with respect to what to do about those from return? And as an added question to that, uh, you know, the big controversy here in Canada is, you know, should we take action to rescue, i.e., bring back? 
ISIS terrorists who are sitting in El Hol or other camps in, in northern Iraq and Syria. And then what do we do with them when they come home? Do they still pose a threat? Do we do we try them? Do we charge them under the criminal code? Do we try to de-radicalize them, et cetera, et cetera? So, so how many French citizens join ISIS? And, and what is the current level of concern in France about the returnees? So uh, the number of French citizens joining ISIS is about 2,000, according to French officials. Okay. So it's quite quite a big number. Yeah. Uh, according to the issue with returnees, so the French government uh, for a long time refused to bring back any citizen, uh, a French citizen who was in, in a prison camp in either like Kurdistan or Syria or Iraq. Um, over the last few months, we saw a few like uh, women and children bring brought, brought back for children. I mean, I, I think it's, it's a good thing to do so. Especially Agreed. really young. Once again, yeah. what do you consider a child there? If, if someone who's 16 or 17, that's more of a security threat than someone who would be younger. Right. Um, in the early 2012, 2014, the first return is... Uh, if they were women, most of them avoided any kind of jail sentences, which is not true anymore. They now go to a special unit being built in the uh, Brittany region for um, uh, for female returnees. Uh, the issue we also have with returnees, the, the, the earliest one, people who came back in 2012, 2013, 2014, received pretty short sentences, and they are, are coming out now. So by the end of 2022, we'll have liberated about... 200 people who have been convicted of a terrorist offense, either going to Iraq or Syria or planning an attack in France in the early years of the um, of the jihadist campaign. So that's going to be a big concern for us. Okay, well, it's, you know, uh, I, I am aware of uh, France's position, and I, I happen to support it, and I, I agree with you, Alexandre, that that young children, I mean, so children under the age of 10, for example, that should be obvious that uh, those those young people should be rescued because it wasn't it wasn't their decision to join ISIS. You may, you rightfully point out a very uh, worrisome question about those 12, 13, 14, 15. I mean, yes, they are children, I, probably under French law as well as under Canadian law, but they're also heavily radicalized and, and, and are potential security threats. Alexandre, I think we could talk for hours uh, about uh, jihad in France, the, uh, the attacks that you've outlined. This has been a it's a remarkable work, remarkable book. Congratulations on your book. I sincerely hope that it does well. Uh, and I want to thank you for coming back on the podcast today to talk about not just the book, but what is the current situation in France and, and what are their concerns. So, so thank you for coming on the podcast again. My pleasure, Phil. That was my conversation with Alexandre Rudd from the, from the Gendarmerie Nationale de France, who has talked about his recent book, Le Jihad en France, 2012-2022, Jihad in France from 2012 to 2022. What do you think about our conversation and more and more broadly, what do you think about what Alexandre had to say about the terrorist threat to France, which seems to buck the trend here in the West? Everyone wants to talk about the far right, this far right, that. And yet it seems like jihadis haven't gone away in France. Love to hear your feedback. You can reach me on email, borealisrisk at gmail.com or on Twitter, as long as Twitter lasts before Elon Musk destroys it, at Borealis Saves. You'll also find me on LinkedIn and on Facebook. If you like the content, go to the website, borealisthreatenrisk.com. Hit a subscribe button. You get free access to podcasts such as these, as well as uh, shorter podcasts, quick hits, and blogs. You'll also find a link there to my latest book, The Peaceable Kingdom, A History of Terrorism in Canada from Confederation to the Present. So a little lo- a little uh, longer than Alexander's. It covers 155 years as opposed to 10. You can get a copy on the website. Love to hear your feedback. I'm sure I'll talk to you again soon. Until then, take care.